When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the IDP show. I am your host for this uh, week 13 preview, Jake Colhagen, alongside the Dynasty Trip. Good morning, Dynasty Trip. Good morning, Jake. It's good to be here. Good to see you. Hope you're nice and warm up there in Wisconsin today. <laughs> yes, we are. My, my wife just did a quick walk outside with the dogs, and she uh, she reminded me that we we live in Wisconsin and what beautiful weather we have. So, our things down by you guys. Uh, it's raining here in the south, so it's hard luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I love it. Well, awesome. Well, well we got to, you and me today stepping in for the boys. Uh, we're going to go through the week 13 preview, game by game matchups. Uh, we'll, we'll pull out a couple players to talk about, highlight some of the last five weeks for uh, everyone and their averages. And uh, yeah, we'll just give you some of those those fire takes that uh, you're always delivering and, and I'll try to keep up with you. <laughs> but with that said, I'll, I'll jump right into the first matchup we got. So the first one is the Washington Commanders versus the New York Giants. Uh, when we look at this matchup, uh, we see Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, uh, leading the way over the last five games, 16.69. Uh, Jonathan Allen, 16.49. Montez Sweat, 14.61. That that defensive line uh, just delivering for them. Uh, some other notable ones, Kendall Fuller uh, and St. Juice along the way, and uh, Derek Forrest, Jameen Davis, and Cameron Curl kind of rounding out that, uh, that top for the commanders in IDP scoring. So um, when I look at that side of the ball, really for me, the biggest thing I want, I'm trying to figure out is uh, Forrest versus Curl rest of the season. Um, I'm, I'm loving Forrest upside right now. Uh, got the big play upside, three three interceptions and two forced fumbles already, and a solid tackle efficiency for you know taking a, a, a bit more deep snaps this year, almost 10%. Uh, Curl has a little bit stronger tackle floor, co- closer to 11%. You got to love his snap alignment, playing more in that sweet spot box type role. Um, but you know, I, I'd love to get your thought, Trips. Who who do you like more rest of season between uh, Derek Forrest and Cam Curl there in Washington? Sure. Well, thanks for the question. I've been thinking about this a bit because there was actually a Twitter thread the other day about this as well. Uh, some gentleman I hadn't heard of before pitched the question to John Macri and Tom Kislingberry and and uh, made me think about it a bit. And I think what you got right on here about the tackle efficiency is, is I think, the key takeaway for me. Uh, 10.5% tackle efficiency the curl has, is that's what you're looking for in a safety. You want that guy that has 10 plus. And when I look at uh, Forrest and the big play upside, yes, that's interesting. But to me, I would compare it to the receivers on the other side of the football there in Washington, which is McLaurin and Dotson and Samuel. And I think that looking at Forrest and and saying, well, this guy's going to get interceptions, and so we ought to consider him over Curl, is the same as saying, well, Samuel and Dotson are getting our higher touchdown rates, and so we should get them in over McLaurin. And you know, so, yeah, Forrest and Curl are close. Their, their usage is close, but I think that Curl's the guy. And I'm going to put my chip on something, which I feel like is a little bit more 
uh, stable and predictable, which is the tackles rather than interceptions. I think betting on interceptions is a bit like betting on touchdown variants. And that's just something I'm hesitant to do. No, I'm, I'm with you, right? It, it, the, those stats don't feel sticky, right? You're not going to be able to kind of predict those or at least have a stronger indication of what's like more likely week to week. So I'm with you. I'm probably biased. I got a lot of Cam Curl stock across a lot of my <laughs> leagues, uh, but but I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm in the same camp as you, so I love it. Um, on the flip side, uh, we got the Giants. Uh, Julian Love leading the way for them. No, excuse me, Leonard Williams leading the way, 16-5-6. Uh, Love coming in at 14-2-4. Dexter Lawrence, 12-4-1. Uh, Jason Pinnock and Jalen Smith rounding out the top five there for the Giants over the last five weeks. With that, you got one side with a really strong defensive line, a lot of uh, draft capital invested in Washington. And on the other side here, you got Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and now this year, Kayvon Thibodeau. So kind of the same situation in terms of winning in the trenches. Um, really, the two things I'm looking at here, one, has, has Jalen Smith kind of reset his career after his exodus from Dallas? Um, is he back next year? To the Giants, or do we see you know McFadden or Beaver, some of the rookies come through next year, and then kind of that same question, you know, Dexter Lawrence um, or you know Leonard Williams, rest of season um, when both have been able to deliver pretty well so far. So uh, for me, I think I, I, I lean Dexter Lawrence, even though that maybe doesn't uh, feel like the right answer, but I, I love the the pressure rate that he's delivering on, um, especially over the eleven games this year, uh, as well as being able to convert that into sacks with a solid tackle floor. And then in the next year, I'm I'm completely lost on what that linebacker room looks like next year. So love to hear your thoughts, Trip, on, on either of those things or anything else you got for the Giants this week. Well, Lawrence versus Williams is an interesting take. And I, I feel you. I kind of think I'm in the same place as you. I think that Williams is the tackle floor guy. This is the guy that he's out there and – and I wasn't sure he could do it again this year like he did last year in a new scheme. Um, but he's out there just piling up tackles again. But Dexter Lawrence is kind of – you want to bet on talent in my mind. And you it doesn't always go well for you in IDP. But then again, it doesn't always go well for you in offense either. DJ Moore is obviously a good player. That hasn't worked out so well this year. So you, you like to bet on the guy that you know is really good. And so I, I probably, if, if I'm looking at both of these guys as IDLs, I'm looking at, I think I'd probably st- stick with Lawrence just because I think he's the better player. I guess if you're in a tackle heavy format, you gotta, you gotta consider that long and hard, but still, um, and as the linebackers go, I mean, it's just, it's such a fungible position, right? It's like running back in a way. It's just Jalen Smith is, I think, turned into one of those, you know, Zach Cunningham type of guys where he's just going to bounce around. Yeah. He'll play from time to time and he'll be trying to stick on a roster. And, um, so if you're in a dynasty league and you can get anything for him, I think now is the time to do it. And sometimes those name brand guys tend to hold name value even when they shouldn't. And so I think that that would be the play there, but for the rest of the season, it seems like Smith has got hold of a role there that's going to be relatively useful if you need an lb3 the rest of the way so can't fault that <clears throat> i love it and yeah i i love the the thought on leonard williams right if you're tackle heavy he's definitely doing that he's he's right up there uh, uh in line with dexter lawrence and the tackles but he's done it in three full less games so um yeah he's, he's definitely delivering at least in that space so uh, you want to take us through Broncos Ravens? Sure, sure. The Broncos and the Ravens are playing this week. We got two offenses that are, I think, struggling a little bit. Certainly the <laughs> the Broncos for sure. So that's going to make this one an interesting challenge in terms of total stat counts. And one of the things I like to do when I'm looking at start sit decisions is is um, is find resources that t- try to anticipate the snap counts and how many snaps they might play in the game. And so the Ravens are a team that probably are not going to be on the field a ton this week, which makes you a little bit concerning. But uh, nevertheless, the Ravens have uh, some of their top IDPs or guys that we've been talking about for a one heck of a long time. Justin Houston was 17 
almost 18 points a game. Um, you got um, Calais Campbell out there who's you got long in the tooth. Well, he must be 36 by now. <laughs> Still making a difference. Uh, Marlon Humphrey is uh, one of the better corners in fantasy football. Uh, Patrick Queen with 12 and a half points. And I'm playing 97% of the staff, which is an interesting development in that, in that we've gotten used to the Ravens playing dime for so long, and now they're out there playing two full-time linebackers pretty much. And then the interesting rookie, Kyle Hamilton, to just under nine points a game, but only 40% of the staff so far in the season. Uh, so it, it's a challenging uh, – it's been a challenging defense for years, but with the, the linebackers showing up, I'm, you know, I, I think that's – uh, an interesting development and in making them both reliable players. That's so a real the outstanding question is Kyle Hamilton. First of all, is he healthy? And if he is, is he able to secure a role in your mind that you think that he's going to be a guy you would want to plug in your lineup as a safety tweet? Yeah, I, it felt like he was trending the right way, um, you know, like three, four over the last three, four weeks. And it was something that I was getting excited for. Uh, you know, you and I were talking a little bit about trying to make some trades happen before we started the episode. And that was what I was doing around him. I was I was trying to actually secure him as those snaps started to trend upwards. Um, and he showed some of that playmaking ability in those limited snaps. Now come back around, you know, yeah, uh, getting dinged up a little bit and the snaps just trending back down uh, the wrong way. I'm not certain. I, I don't think 2022 is Kyle Hamilton's season. Maybe we see something if they make the playoffs. You know, he can make kind of a splash there. But I'm, I don't know. I, I don't see him being relevant this year. And I, and and I do wonder about him next year, even with Chuck Clark still under contract through 2023. Now it's a very easy out in terms of the contract for the Ravens, so they can definitely make their move. But it's uh it's interesting because Chuck Clark's been one of those few IDPs that's a hundred percent of every defensive snap for his team this season too. So there's a clear desire to have him out there, even like you said, with a Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen now seeing hundred percent snaps or near hundred percent snaps as well. So um, it's uh I think this is a hold him if you got him, but uh, maybe maybe don't get as excited as I was a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, the other interesting piece is that Marcus Williams. I, I think I heard that he was coming back, if if not this week, then next. And so that's a, a new wrinkle. Uh, yep. Gino Stone, I think he got hurt last week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but anyway, it doesn't really matter because he won't play ahead of Marcus Williams, the big free agent acquisition. And that's so right. it'd be interesting to see how they fit those three safeties together. Because one of the things I've been noticing and writing about this year is the the inclination of teams to play three safeties. It used to be last year, we only had a couple of teams doing it. And this year we have over about a dozen teams. Some of them is injury related. Like the Packers were playing three safeties because um, uh, Eric Stokes got hurt and they didn't feel like they had a viable slot corner. So they had Drizzle Douglas and Jair Alexander playing corner with three safeties on the field. But this is a team that, legit wants to play three safeties i think with the new defensive coordinator and mike mcdonald's and i'm excited to see kyle hamilton develop as, as kind of a slot star type role and see where that takes him as we you know we haven't really seen anybody if you're a cornerback with that designation you're a freaking rock star for fantasy but if you're a safety playing in that alignment then that's yeah i'm interested to see if he can make something of it and so I'm, i think these next handful of weeks seeing how those three players fit on the field together be really important for really all three of their long-term value and Chuck Clark among those like you know I think some of the preseason analysis was well Chuck Clark must be the odd man out and we haven't seen that he's been like you said playing 100% of the time and continues to be useful useful NFL player not all that exciting for fantasy but you know it's certainly as part of the analysis is to figure out all that fits together Right. And I mean, I think you're spot on, right? Like it's, he's out there uh, being productive for his team on, uh, in terms of NFL. Um, he's one of those things that reminds me of Xavier Woods last year. Xavier Woods was one of the 
top scoring safeties in the league, but he he literally played the most snaps out of every single person out there uh, in all IDPs. He played 100 percent of snaps for his team. So it's just it's production by volume is really what's keeping him you know relevant if if even that. So um, yeah, it'll it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned three safeties, right? We just talked about Curl and and Forrest, and they got Bobby McCain up there playing um, a, a whole allotment of snaps too. So there's another mm-hmm. team right that's. Wanting to yeah. run out three safeties just every down or every time they can. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right. On the Broncos side, we have uh, uh, Josie Jewell was one of my preseason guys that I wouldn't shut up about. <laughs> he has about 17 points a game, playing 99% of the snaps this year when he's healthy, which is awesome. Alex Singleton, of course, plays next to him. And it looks like he's put Jonas Griffith, the UDFA, behind him. Um, Draymond Jones is a guy that people don't talk about a lot because you kind of have to be in true position leagues to get excited about him. But he is the defensive end for the Broncos, that um, sort of that IDL player in true position leagues with 9.65 points a game, 83% of the snaps, a volume guy on – on defense that um, has, has really had a pretty good year, and folks don't really talk about him. Justin Simmons, the safety, 8.67 points a game, former All-Pro. I think people uh, got used to him and thought of him as, well, he's an All-Pro. He's got to be good. To your point, you made, I think, before we started recording, is that you get these All-Pros, and you think, oh, well, they got to be good for IDP. And Justin Simmons is just a scheme that just doesn't really support a big IDP impact, which is which is disappointing. But I think the big news in, Bronco, in Denver this year has been the, the – um, switching around of the edges and Bradley Chubb getting traded to Miami and leaving Baron Browning, who was an inside linebacker last year as the lead pass rusher. And so um, that's, I think, a situation to watch and wonder how you feel like his um, rest of your production will play. And, you know, how is he going to prove to be a value the rest of the way and possibly a dynasty trade target? Yeah, I think he's someone where you look at what he's done this year. He's got 24 pressures uh, throughout the season so far. And he's he's had a couple injuries that have kept him out. So that's, you know, limited game production to get to those 24 pressures. Um, and he's at a 14.9% pressure win rate this year, our pass rush win rate, excuse me, which is which is great. And, and you love to see that. Um, and that, that is indicative of, you know, future performance. However, he had 10 pressures in one game as well. So is that something where... He created an outlier type of performance to boost his stats beyond. Um, or is it something where, you know, that was just, that was, that was it. He was on that. He's good. And he was on that game. It was against the Colts. So, I mean, that line, you know, used to be the bees knees uh, that everyone was always buzzing about, but uh, you know, not so much anymore this year. So, you know, you can only play who's put in front of you, but you know, you take that game out. He's still at 10%, which is, you know, uh, you know, to average, so maybe slightly above average or nearing average probably more closely I'll say um so I'm 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 in on Baron Browning you know and I think that's something where you might just want to temper expectations a little bit uh because of some of that that's propped up there but I think you got someone who's trending in the right direction especially for like you said this is a guy who was an inside linebacker last year drafted as a linebacker that was his that was his pedigree now he's switched to edge rusher and he's found a way to be successful in that and obviously there's a clear path forward with Chubb out of there um I know Gregory's still in house but I mean, after after Browning, you know, there's Jonathan Cooper who's been serviceable as a fill-in role, but I, he looks more like a rotational edge guy um, than anything. You know, not not really relevant for IDP. So yeah, I'd say Browning's a guy if you can get him. You know, if you still have trade trades available in your league, see if someone's you know willing to sell a little lower on him. Otherwise, you know, keep him in mind moving forward, especially for a redraft next year. I don't think he's going to have um, a big name or a big market around him. So it'll be someone to be fun to try and get on get your rosters next year. Yeah, I'm eager to see them get Draymond Jones in the interior and 
Randy Gregory and Baron Browning all on the field and healthy together. So let's see what that looks like. Because this is a defense without a lot of star power that's been effective as an NFL unit. And to me, I like to bet on, you know, kind of a rising tide. On um, If you're talking about big play production, I want, I want a defense that looks good, that's helping to you know, put pressure on the quarterback, uh, that has lockdown potential in the back end with Pat Sertan, and make, make hay. So I, I like that. That's interesting. Um, well, so what do you got on the Steelers and Falcons? <clears throat> All right, yeah, moving on. We got the Steelers coming in here. Uh, Levi Wallace leading the way at uh, seven or eighteen point seven seven, which that that came out of nowhere for me. I mean, even in cornerback required leagues, he was nowhere on my radar this year. So I, I love I love seeing guys pop up like that and playing well. Uh, Alex Highsmith, fifteen point six eight, great great volume play. Um, he stepped in and delivered nicely uh, while T.J. Watt was out. Um, but you also saw him produce really, really strong numbers while T.J. Watt was in there. So it'll be fun to see how the, down the stretch how both him and T.J. Watt uh, look together, you know, running running on the edges uh, in Pittsburgh there. T.J. Watt coming in next at 13.18. Uh, I'm sure those numbers are going to just balloon at some point here once he hits his stride again. Uh, he's already finding ways to, you know, he's not getting home, but he's still finding ways to impact game. I still can't believe that interception he made two weeks ago when uh, just, jumps up and rips, you know, a 40 mile per hour pass out of the air and grabs it like that, you know, from six yards away. That's insane to me. So the guy just makes plays. Uh, Cameron Hayward, 11.89. One of the, one of the stalwarts of defensive interiors from IDP to the NFL production. This guy just keeps finding ways to do it. You talked about Calais Campbell doing this for so many years. I mean, here's another one. I mean, this is a guy that you can just plug and play set and forget uh, at, at defensive interior as a DI, you know, DI or DT one. Um, he's he's up there in the in defensive line discussion too. When you're when you got de- defensive edges and uh, interior mixed together, he's he just finds a way to deliver always. Um, and then Arthur or Malay Malet, I'm probably murdering that name. So um, <laughs> another one of those just kind of popping up, and, and you love seeing the production there as well. So um, some of the bigger names: Mika Fitzpatrick down the list, Robert Spillane, Miles Jack, Terrell Edmonds, and, and Devin Bush. Uh, you know, some other notable mentions, but in that notable mentions is something really interesting to me is Devin Bush all the way down there. But now all of a sudden he's the one wearing the green dot. And this could be someone where maybe he's been sitting on your bench because of, you know, he was a first round draft pick and you know you still had him and you're kind of holding on, waiting to see what's happening. He might be getting that chance and might get a chance to maybe flash some of that playmaking ability he showed in his rookie year where he had, uh, you know, a lot of big plays, fumble recoveries, defensive touchdowns, couple picks. I think you might have a sneaky playoff winner here for someone that you can slide into an LB three role. Um, but you could be looking at maybe some, some stronger numbers coming out of there, especially with other things with TJ Watt coming back and other focuses around that defense. So where do you stand on Devin Bush rest of the season trip? Now I think he's playing for his job, right? This is a team that's what four and seven or thereabouts four and eight, maybe. And, and Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. So he's taking an advantage of, of seeing what he has on these on the field before he has to make some decisions. And Devin Bush, if I'm not mistaken, is in the final year of his rookie deal. Uh, so uh, he's playing for a job. He, he's out there, of course, with Miles Jack. And Miles Jack, I think they tried him with the green dot. Well, that was a tried and failed experiment in Jacksonville when Jack was there as well. He just seems to be better if he's allowed to be that second guy. And challenges is sometimes they're in a defense like Pittsburgh. So you just don't have enough opportunities for two guys to be to be relevant. So I'm I'm a guy. I'm not 
to be honest with you, going to jump on the Devin Bush train, but I certainly acknowledge that there's opportunity there. Um, and the, I think the challenge of Devin Bush is that he has that name brand recognition, kind of like uh, the, we talked to a couple minutes ago to go to a guy that, oh, Jalen Smith. These guys that have this name brand recognition always seem to command a premium in IDP leagues that make it really tough to trade for. It's always easier to find guys like Josie Jewell, who people aren't on board with, and because he wasn't a high pick. And for some reason, Josie Jewell has bona fide production. You could probably still trade Devin Bush right now for, for Josie Jewell if you wanted to, which is crazy. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's insane. And it's funny you mentioned that you talked about you were big on Jewel. You actually, you're, some of the stuff you wrote this offseason turned me on to Jewel and really got me deep diving his stuff. And I, I got plenty of uh, uh, rosters with him on it. So, you're, I mean, you're, but you're spot on. He, the value, the valuation is not even and it gets skewed very, very easily due to our NFL brains versus, you know, IDP brain. But uh, I love this. We'll flip it over to the other side. We got uh, the Falcons uh, coming in. We got Rashawn Evans leading the way at 1701. Uh, running mate there for who knows how much longer, though. Uh, Michael Walker at 1469. Um, Richie Grant, my my boy. My, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. So 10.85. Love seeing him getting all the snaps that he is um, and him delivering. Lorenzo Carter, 10-5. Grady Jarrett, uh, another one of those big names, rocking the interior of the line, delivering at 9-3. Uh, Arnold Abichetti, Jalen Hawkins, Terrell, and Troy Anderson rounded out some other notable mentions. Uh, Troy Anderson, obviously one that's uh, kind of a big, big name to pay attention to here at the end of the season, uh, especially in your dynasty formats. He's coming in. Um, him and Michael Walker and even Evans a little bit are starting to see a bit of a rotation there at linebacker. And it seems Evans the clear front runner in that uh, green dot and in, in the snap count to um, back that up. However, Michael Walker moving forward, Troy Anderson, uh, I think, you know, Josh and I talked a little bit, my viewpoints on them, you know, moving forward last week. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that linebacking room in, uh, in Atlanta beyond 2022. Well, I think that we got here is that Dean Pease is, uh, there was an interesting comment that he made at the beginning of the season and this summer it was something like he didn't have the personnel but to run 60 percent of his playbook last year and he felt like that this year he had the personnel to run 100 percent of his playbook so i think what's happening is he's got a defense that's still evolving and obviously the big uh thorn in his side is continues to be pass rush but i think that's slightly improving i think abiketti looks like he's going to stick um, and then you've got the cornerback situation where A.J. Terrell, their stud cornerback, has been hurt a lot of the year, and so they have been just useless against pa- the pass, against opposing opponents, which does suck. Uh, but as far as the linebackers go, you know, I think it puts some pressure on them to perform and really to and piling up a lot of tackles. And so I feel like this is kind of the warm body principle with Evans. Evans knows the defense, and that's why he's wearing the dot, because he played with Dean Pease in Tennessee a couple of years ago. Uh, but he's on a one-year deal. Anderson has obviously been drafted to to be the guy in there, and they're starting to see what he's got. This is a guy that played four different positions in four college seasons at Montana State. He was, I think, all-conference or close to it, and all four of them, which is nuts. Uh, so he's only played – this is his second year of playing off-ball linebacker. And so the fact that he's getting out there and making some progress, I think, is a good sign for him. So I think a lot of people felt like that this is how it would go, and it's kind of going according to script. And so I, I would like him to to take over the role. Uh, he was a, I think he played quarterback in one year. He played running back, quarterback, out, outside linebacker, and inside linebacker. Uh, 
And I think that they're hit for, they're expecting him to take over that dot next year. I don't know that for a fact, obviously, but that's what I would expect. And then maybe Evans gets reduced into, if they bring him back, gets reduced into you know a lesser role. Uh, similar to what he had in Tennessee when he was uh, finishing out his, his time there. Uh, Walker, obviously, is the wild card. He's at the end of his rookie deal. Does Has he done enough to be brought back? I mean, with the way the linebacker market is and the way the Falcons cap situation is, I don't know that he is. I, you know, I, I He may have to find another home. <clears throat> no, I'm uh, I'm on the same uh, plane there with you. That's exactly kind of how I see it. And, yeah, I did. I did not realize it was four positions that he played. I, I knew that I knew the quarterback one for Troy Anderson, so I love that. And and I think you're spot on though that he's the guy moving forward because again, as as a Richie Grant fan, you know, last year a lot of the stuff was you know, hey, he's a rookie, we got to really ease him in, and we want to figure things out and how we want to do that. So for Dean Pease to come in and get a rookie in Troy Anderson and find a way to get him onto the field regardless uh, at the volume that he's already getting at this point in the season. I think you're spot on. I think he's kind of the guy going forward there. Um, you know, again, all prognostication here. There's nothing that solid to say that, but I, I, I really do like Anderson moving forward as the as the green dot and the leader of the middle of that defense. Yep. All Good right. Deal. Jets and the Vikings is our next matchup to talk about. We have um, the Vikings. We kind of know who they are. And then the Jets who – Holy cow, what's going on with them, right? Their defense was horrible <laughs> last year. It's good this year. Their offense was horrible until last week, and it was suddenly good. <laughs> so, it's going to be an interesting must-watch television up there. The I think that game is in Minneapolis. I, hopefully that'll be on here. It, probably, it might not be, but I hope so. Uh, so the Jets are rolling out. C.J. Mosley, the uh, veteran, former Raven, he's got 18.5 points a game, uh, 97% of the snaps played. Quentin Williams is their stud interior defender, 13 points a game. Uh, Quincy Williams, his brother, uh, plays behind him at linebacker, 12 points a game. Uh, Jordan Whitehead is the safety, uh, 10.75 points a game, 100% of the snaps all year. And then John Franklin Myers, uh, kind of a, uh, one of their defensive line pieces there, is leading the charge there with just under 10 points a game in a big, deep rotation. So I guess you know really the key here is is do you see any progress in this in this defensive line rotation shaking out because if they're able to start playing downhill more with a good offense there may be some sack upside here which has been undapped. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Quinn and Williams has kind of been the big name, uh, really delivering, in, especially in the IDP space there from that line. Uh, John Franklin Myers was a fun one. I think I think John Macri was all over John Franklin Myers last year, um, and, and then he got the big contract extension, and, and he's continued to be productive for. NFL and IDP here for us. But yeah, for me, it really, uh, I, I loved Jermaine Johnson landing here. Uh, I know they spent high draft capital. I believe they traded back up into the first round to, to snake Jermaine Johnson. Uh, he was someone who came in, he was, he had a very limited pass rush skill set. Uh, he was really one of more of those uh, freak athletes, freak athletes who was able to really win on the edge, just consistently getting around, being faster, um, stronger than most people um, at the college level. So I, I didn't expect huge things coming in for him. Uh, but seeing the way that the defense has been productive and they're kind of able to ease him along, he's still seeing, you know, somewhere around 18 to 22 snaps a game. So they clearly want to get him out there. Um, he's slowly kind of coming along. So I, I'm really more excited about what next year brings for him. And I know the the IDP guys always talk about, you know, that that grown-ass man strength, right, that uh, that needs to come along. And, I mean, there's there's definitely something to that, right? You're, you're a 22-year-old going against a, a 29-year-old guy who's had all the strength and conditioning and, and NFL experience for the last few years. It, it's, it's going to take a bit to kind of level that playing field. Uh, well, at least in some cases, Micah Parsons is just 
thing <laughs> able to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like Shaquille O'Neal, right? It's like, who is this guy? What planet is he from? It's just sometimes exactly. that happens. <laughs> yeah, right. That's exactly what it's like. And uh, but yeah, so I, I like Jermaine Johnson moving forward. I think he's going to be um, someone you want to target. You know, next year, uh, maybe in the off season, you're looking at those kind of things. You're not going to see much from him this year. Maybe he does something, makes some splashy plays. Uh, if and when the Jets make the playoffs, which feels weird to say. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he's someone to kind of look at going forward. And, and the rest of those pieces, I think they just keep doing what they've been doing. And I, I agree with you. I think we'll see some slightly higher uh, pass rush production uh, coming forward, especially with the offense being able to hopefully be more productive under Mike White versus Zach Wilson and whatever that show was while he was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm interested. To, one thing I worry about with Jermaine Johnson is I wonder how much overlap and skill set there is with John Franklin Myers. And if this just continues to be a rotation where no one can separate themselves. Like, I love Josh Sweat in Philadelphia. And he just, it just makes a big difference when you're playing 63% of the snaps versus 83% of the snaps. And just, just the volume alone is just, it's hard to, to account for. So, but I'm, I'm interested to see like, if this Jets team really can catch fire. I mean, basically, we watched the Patriots cry uncle. Uh, two nights ago so apparently they were going to see the playoff set a spot to the jets there that last playoff spot so yeah i think it'd be fun to see the jets in the playoffs I, I'm, I'm here for it hmm. on the viking side of the ball we have uh, another interesting group this is another defense that was really bad last year i think in part because of injuries but uh, they bring in zadarius smith to shore up the opposite side of the pass rush along with daniel hunter and those two guys are after an 18.9 points per game and 15 points per game respectively uh smith has has missed some time with injury but he's had, and he also has to spike games uh, all pro perennial all pro safety Harrison Smith is 13 and a half points a game playing just about a full time. Uh, Eric Hendricks inside linebacker down a bit this year, 12.8 points a game, but uh, his running mate, uh, Jordan Hicks. Uh, well, I guess I'm in uh, IDP show scoring ID uh, Hicks and P M Kendricks are about the same, but, um, and take a tackle heavy leagues so that Jordan Hicks is outperforming them by a good margin. Uh, it's just interesting to see. And then we have Pat Peterson still out there, 12 and a half points a game, a corner. Uh, so, <clears throat> so I guess the, one of the questions is, is there, is the Darius Smith is, are the flashes that we've seen this year real? And is he going to be a guy to bet on down the stretch? I will say that I traded for him in one league, uh, as, uh, and if it, where I needed a guy, I have to start free edge defenders in that league. And so I, and I, I was pretty satisfied to get him. I, I pay, I probably paid up though. I paid a third or fourth, fifth for him. What do you think about him? So, so yeah, in, in Wisconsin, I've seen plenty of Zadarius Smith on all the Packer games that the, we always got to catch up here. Uh, you know, he, he showed to be a, a truly dominant force, you know, a difference maker within each game uh, during, you know, two, three years ago with the Packers and the run that they had with him. Um, I, I I'm I'm sold on him, man. I think him and Daniil Hunter have made one of the one of the top pass rushing pairs in the NFL. You look at uh, just you know I, I play in the all twenty two format. Uh, I don't know if you play in that at all. And they talk about contract weights and things, right? And and edge rushers right up there behind quarterback and all that stuff. So I mean, there, there's there's a clear premier need for top level pass rushers to make a difference in in an NFL game. Um, and obviously, in doing that, it's making those big plays, those sacks, those tackles for loss. And as such, that's the kind of stuff that drives IDP production. And, and, and they've been finding a way to just do that consistently week after week here. I mean, yes, obviously it's, it's edge rusher, so there can be that boom-bust kind of stuff with it. But uh, Z- Zedarius has been the one finding a way to get home more frequently than, than Hunter this uh, last few weeks, whereas Hunter is kind of that one who's kind of more that stalwart playing that closer to 80% um, versus kind of more that rotational a bit for Smith. So it's 
you know, pick your poison? Do you like, do you like the safety of the floor and the snaps with Hunter or do you prefer kind of that big upside with Smith? Um, but I, I think they're both here to do it for the long haul, you know, and Smith's got a contract that takes them through, uh, you know, in the next two seasons, easy out for the Vikings. Um, but you know, him and Hunter under control for the next, at least next year, they, they try to run it back and especially at eight and two, I mean, they're nine and two, whatever they are now. Um, you, you, you got to keep that kind of, if you have that talent, you got to keep it and you got to run with it until the wheels fall off. In my opinion. Oh, they're a pot committed. They got guys like Thielen and Sedarius Smith and Pat Peterson. They've got to play these guys till the wheels fall off. So yeah, I expected the whole pretty much the same unit to come back next year as so obviously they've locked into a playoff spot at this point. So we'll see if they can make some noise there, but first year coach, they're going to want to try it again next year with, with the success that they've had. Um, well, I'm interested to see how it affects Mike White. And an interesting stat that I saw about Mike White, or I guess I figured out myself, is that after Eddie Jackson got hurt last week, the highest pick they had on the field as among the defensive regulars was Justin Jones, a defensive tackle, was a third-round pick. Most people haven't heard of him. The next, the rest of the defenders out there were fifth-round picks, sixth-round picks, and UDFAs. So Mike White looked great against that unit. He was basically a second string in most of his teams. Well, I'd be interested to see how he does against a real defense this year with guys like Hunter and Zary Smith <clears throat> this week. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> All right, we're, we're skipping from a must-watch TV to a cringe-watch <laughs> TV with the Browns and the Texans. And holy cow, what do you got on that? <laughs> oh well, I, as a, as a you know self-professed Texans fan, unfortunately, um, this this is the big quote-unquote revenge game. Uh, Deshaun Watson coming back to Houston, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what a struggling defense looks like against a, an All-Pro quarterback who hasn't played in two years. So, but I agree, it's 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 not going to be fun to watch. I think. But we have to because we got some strong uh, IDP options here. Uh, starting on the Brown side, we got Jer- Jeremiah Wusu Koromo coming in at 15 points a game here over the last five. Uh, big name Miles Garrett, 14.39. Sion Takitaki, 13.63. Martin Emerson uh, playing out on uh, the edge, the cor- edge corner or the outside corner, uh, 13.19. Uh, and Dion Jones, 9.98. Uh, Grant Delpit and John Johnson. Couple of safeties rounded out there at eight four four and six three over the last five. So, uh, J- Jeremiah Wusu Koromo, JOK, fifteen points a game. This is what everyone thought we were going to see coming into the season. At least you know all the stuff I was reading on fantasy football Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Tr- tr- <laughs> so, and, and I mean, I, I don't, I don't blame you, right? I mean, it's a guy who showed. Um, the athleticism at Clemson, he played a lot of that what is that hanging linebacker, off-ball linebacker, right, where he was kind of in the slot and whatever. But then he showed coming in early on he could rush the passer really well, even as a bit of an undersized linebacker, um, you know, and he was not afraid to get his nose in there in the run game. So you, you just felt like this guy had all the tools to really deliver, um, stay on the field in, in this type of NFL, this pass-heavy NFL. He could be out there for every single play. Everyone was excited. Then this this linebacker room became very ambiguous. Um, they could no one could stop a run a running game there in Cleveland whatsoever. And then they just started trying all kinds of different things. And it seems like now they've settled on JOK as the guy getting ninety five plus percent snaps the last two weeks. So I think we have our LB one going forward in uh, Cleveland as well as a potential LB one for IDP moving forward. Uh, where are you on JOK as a fan of him at the beginning of the year and now where he stands today? I, I think that um, the the issue with JOK, I really feel like this, is that it has a lot to do with their ability of the defensive line to keep him clean. I think the defensive tackles have been pitiful this year. Last year they had Malik Jackson and Malik McDowell, and Malik Jackson – 
he got old and they didn't bring him back. Malik McDowell is, is uh, I don't know how to explain that exactly politically correctly, but he's not back with the team this year. So. <laughs> and so they bring in uh, Jordan Elliott, the second year player, and uh, they signed uh, Taven Bryant agency from from jacksonville and i feel like that this is a defense that really benefit from a guy from a couple of guys that could get up there and two gap or mush rush and i think what they got instead is a couple of guys that profile more as one gappers who just can't keep the linebackers clean can't occupy space aren't generating a lot of pressure uh they have a fourth year fourth round pick brian winfrey who some people thought slid uh, if maybe he could get some more time and that would help a lot but jok is out there he's 220 some pounds like you said and he's he's kind of profiles as a guy that you'd want to see him in a star or overhang position and not so much an off-ball linebacker that being said that was exactly the case with fred warner when he went into san francisco and the Joe Woods, who's the defensive coordinator, took Fred Warner and turned him into an all-pro linebacker. So, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of upside and potential for JOK, and I'm glad to see that he's getting that full-time role. And I'm interested. I think this week against the, the Toothless Titans or Texans, I think that he'll probably look just fine. The, the issue, of course, is will the Texans even possess the ball long enough for him to pile up any stats? <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm I remain bullish on JOK's long-term outlook. I think he's the type of player uh, that, that the NFL needs. And I think it's really incumbent upon the Browns to fix that defensive line. No, I, I love that. I mean, I think you, I think you nailed it right, uh, right on the head there because yeah, JOK is not going to be able to mix it up there and, and take on those blocks on his own and, and come out clean to be able to make plays or be relevant for IDP. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some work to be done there on that front uh, outside of Miles Garrett. So uh, when we flip over to the other side, uh, we got some, some interesting players over here. We got Christian Kirksey leading the way at 13, four, nine, uh, the old man river here, Jerry Hughes, coming back and just just doing his thing. 12.86 on 61% of snaps. The guy is just finding a way to get home and be productive week after week. Uh, then rookie Jalen Petre, uh, safety out of Baylor, coming in at 9.5. Uh, Desmond King, uh, another, another veteran, well-traveled veteran, uh, kind of plays more of that slot corner, uh, coming in at 9.4. And then rookie Christian Harris, come, linebacker, coming in at 8.45. Looking at this room here, or this or this this IDP set, you know, you got some young guys in there. You got Jalen Petrie, you got Christian Harris, you got some older guys, Jerry Hughes, Desmond King. Um, I mean, what what do you make of this heads or tails? I mean, for me, I love Christian Harris. Uh, I think he profiles well, especially if if Lovey Smith somehow stays there or they keep uh, that defensive scheme in there. I think he, they he's the linebacker in that cover two scheme that likes to get downhill and kind of be just that traditional run thumper which especially if you're going to play in a tackle heavy league, um, great. He's going to be able to deliver those numbers for you. Um, I don't know that he is going to be strong, you know, and that, that, that linebacker that needs to kind of drop into the middle of that coverage because that's just not, that's not been a part of his game, but maybe he can evolve into that. So I, I like Harris as a, as a, you know, LB three actually traded for him in several leagues uh, before trade deadlines last week. What what I mean? What else do we take away from this? Jalen Petrie kind of looks pretty poor in terms of his actual NFL production. He grades, I think, below thirty in almost every category for PFF. I mean, I know they got too many other holes to fill, so he might just get a, get a chance to run it back next year due to necessity of targeting other areas. But I mean, what what do we see for this team for next year? Because we're not looking at much for this year. Yeah, it's gosh, this is. It's, it's just hard to watch the Texans. <laughs> it's just, and the, the thing that's, that's troubling about it is that this is Lovey Smith's second year with this defense, right? And I, I think you just got to put it on him to some extent because 
this this defense is I feel like it's even worse than it was last year. I don't know if that's statistically true or not, but it feels like it. My eyeballs <laughs> say it is. <laughs> yeah. And so they got Jonathan Owens out there playing deep safety, and he's a liability, same as Petrie. I mean, everybody on this defense has a low PFF grade, at least in the back seven anyway. It's, it, you know, the, the Derek Stingley is, doesn't look like the answer at corner at all. That was a big gamble at third overall. And that, I mean, yes, he could get better, but typically corners is a position where you expect a guy to come in and hit the ground running the way sauce Gardner did in new york and so you got like their best back seven player has been steven nelson the journeyman cornerback who the eagles didn't bring back you know it's just really rough and so i think for that reason when you have that many liabilities on the field at once it's hard to judge pick out one you know from where we sit and and uh, judge that player's long-term potential uh petrie you know was horrendous in terms of the missed tackle department and he's a guy that was started at one point and Baylor was playing some linebacker. So you got to be concerned about that. But like you said, I mean, this is a guy that's in a rookie contract. He'll be back next year. You would certainly expect that he would, that he'd come back and have an opportunity to redeem himself under presumably new coaching staff. I think what for the short term, but the part of the issue now is that both Petrie and Owens are losing snaps to uh, MJ Stewart and Eric Murray, who are veterans that we know are not qualified to play on good teams. So it's just, wow. It's a tough thing to watch. <laughs> as far as Christian Harris goes, it's another guy where, you know, I think that the the um, the buzz on him was that he probably wasn't ready to come in and play right away. And um, he's pressed into service because Kamogruji Hill is bad and then he wanted out. And so, you know, I think he's a reserve role of the Cardinals now. So um, it's again, it's, it's, it's tough to go ahead and, and condemn them after a handful of games. So you got to stick with Christian Harris, but wow, he's another guy that's really struggled. Oh, I mean, that's, that's about all you can say. Struggles and Texans goes together. perfectly. <laughs> yeah. With that, we can move on. <laughs> yeah. And a more interesting game. I, I don't know if this is going to be good or bad football, but um <laughs> It's, it, it should be good, interesting to watch. This is the Jaguars and Lions. I think I saw somewhere where they have the highest over-under on the week. So we have the Lions defense, which we know is bad, the, the Jaguars defense, which we're not sure about. But Trevor Lawrence seems to be coming along, and go Tigers. I'm happy for that. So he may, may be able to make some hay against this Lions defense. Um, and so their, their top unit, they're playing Kirby Joseph out there as, the, as their top scorer of 15.4 points a game at safety. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, uh, Rodrigo from Hard Knocks has 11.94 points a game. He's only been playing 37% snap over 37% of the snaps over the last five weeks. And part of that's because it's been banged up. But um, nevertheless, it's something to, to monitor. Alex Anzalone is the starting linebacker playing full-time. 11.38 points a game. He has not been as horrendously bad as he was last year and is therefore just minorly IDP relevant in a deeper league, uh, So, which is, I think is interesting. But it also was around this time last year where Anzalone saw his playing time scaled back uh, at the at the expense uh, at his expense for younger players and i'm interested to see if that happens again but Derek barnes finally starting to show a little something and get on the field uh the last guy on here that we're talking about aiden hutchinson 10 points a game he is one of the leading volume plays in the nfl meaning that he's playing just about as many snaps as any edge defender in the entire nfl him and he's right behind max crosby uh and therefore just on i think a volume play on alone it makes him an attractive uh option going forward what do you think about that linebacker uh, situation how does that shake out for you yeah I, I love i love rodrigo from hard knocks right just watching him was fun um he's someone i thought that you know had a lot of upside and and, and based on where this lions defense was last year um and how much room that they had to just grow still 
Uh, I really thought he'd get a shot early on, but uh, Anzalone always seems to find a way to keep weaseling his way back to the top of depth charts. Um, that said, though, the, the defense has really started to put it together, so I think they might have the kind of the crew that they want to run with and how they want to do that next year. You look what they did against Saquon Barkley a few weeks ago, like 20 carries for 40 yards. I'm, I'm, I think I'm I'm off on my numbers a little bit there, but uh, and and they've just been finding a way to to really actually limit teams um, uh, in a matchup or a team that used to be a favorable matchup for your offensive, you know, uh, uh, fantasy targets uh, when taking on the Lions to now maybe not so much, and, and they're really starting to put something together there. So I don't know if this is you know the 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 coaching staffs kind of figured it out or the the teams figuring out the system that Dan Campbell and gosh now what was the cornerback Aaron Glenn uh, what they put together there. But I, I, I got to think it's it's Rodrigo moving forward, and I think they probably keep some sort of rotation, um, whether that's Anzalone and Barnes or, you know, they, they go somewhere else. But I, I think that those are the three guys that we're looking at, obviously, the rest of this year and, and going into 2023. Yeah, so they're a team that suffered with some injuries with Tracy Walker being lost for the season, and they've got some young players to develop. And Alim McNeil seems to be um, – Developing at defensive tackle, Levi Enrique, not so much. Um, and they got they're looking for Romeo Aquara to come back. So I, I guess that you know maybe they're we should withhold judgment until they can get a full complement of guys out there. So yeah, interesting, interesting take there. Uh, on the Jaguar side, uh, there's another big linebacker story, right? We got Devin Lloyd, who was the first round pick. Who everybody said, "Oh, he's a slam dunk. Let's get him in the first round of our rookie drafts." Well, he didn't play last week, or not much anyway. He didn't start. <laughs> Chad Muma, the third round pick, played ahead of him. And so, I, I what my eyes tell me, and you know, I'm not a you know, expert NFL analyst or anything, but I, I feel like that Devin Lloyd is out there playing aggressively, looked pretty good at times, was making some mistakes. Chad Moo out there looks tentative to me in comparison. And I think that Lloyd may have been benched really to, as was the words of the coaches I, saw, I heard on a podcast this week, is just to let him watch from the sideline and, and see if he can't learn by just watching and seeing how the real thing plays out in front of his eyes. And so I'm not convinced that Muma playing ahead of Lloyd is something that sticks. I'm curious as to you know, what your thoughts are on that. <clears throat> I, I, I love that take. And that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I loved Muma coming in. I, I think he was just another one of those guys who he, he seemed to really like to play downhill. You know, he's, like you said, he does kind of maybe sit back a little bit, but once he makes his read and kind of goes, he he goes and, and, and attacks it, you know, with good speed and, and really able to to be a strong run defender. Really, is what I kind of took away was one of his strengths coming out. Um, was it Wyoming, I believe? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Devin Lloyd was someone that when when I watched their games, it seemed like he was winning on athleticism, and, and maybe that, that was my kind of uh, eyeball mm-hmm. test on him. But I, I like the way you said maybe just kind of playing out of control and and, and trying to play too fast. And thinking, you know, hey, I'm at that next level. I need to step up to to match the game speed here. Um, so I, I I love Muma, and I'm sure I'm a, probably a little bit biased. I I thought he would see a greater complement of the snaps uh, going down uh, the rest of the season here, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I had not heard that kind of take from the coaches uh, that you talked about. So that really could be something where you know, as a team, there the Jaguars are four wins five wins four, but they're, they're they're really kind of on the playoffs looking in right i mean that's yeah. that's so they're probably trying to figure out what they got here um you got some some real talent there in your linebacking room so hey you know put them out there and and, and learn learn the best way get get involved for muma let him have that opportunity and like you said slow it down or really really let devin lloyd kind of process the entire the entirety of the game or of the plays um 
from a more outside looking in perspective and, and maybe that will help them grow. Mm-hmm. And I'm not an NFL coach, so I'm going to trust they know what they're doing because they're, they're yeah, the guys exactly. out there I, getting paid for it. So yeah. I try very hard to let the NFL tell me who's good and who's not good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Somebody's playing. I'm going to assume that that coaching staff knows what they're doing. Uh, so I, I really hesitate to second guess. And so I'm really interested to see how this thing comes uh, comes through here with these two players. Uh, the, the whole Jaguars defense is kind of interesting. You, the, Andre Cisco is their leading scorer the last five points on an IDP show scoring with 13.2 points a game. That's a guy that's, I think, under most people's radars, but it's been a, it's been a useful safety option out there. And then you got all the way down at the bottom of, the, of our list, Trayvon Walker at 4.1 points a game, and that hurts. And there's a lot of people that said this guy was going to need some time to develop, and boy, has that been the case so far this year. Yeah, they, they talked a lot about his, his pass rush and, and, and first step and what they did. Well, and well, no, he was at Georgia. I was going to say Clemson there for some reason mm-hmm. for a second and figured you'd know. But yeah, no, he was over at Georgia. Mm-hmm. But yeah, his, his pass rush, a lot of people talked about that first step of his and, and the way that how they wanted Walker to be much more of a run defender, edge setter um, in that Georgia defense. And and if that's true, I mean, and you could see it on film. So, I mean, it, it's legit. But I mean, I think it has a greater impact maybe than some people thought it would here coming in year one as he's trying to really relearn maybe how to be an edge defender in terms of rushing the passer more because that obviously delivers more value here in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I, that's just a skill that takes time to develop. I wrote in my last piece for football guys about edge defenders and their and their development. You look at a guy like Jalen Phillips, you know, and, and not, he was more of a pure pass rusher last year and he's developed his overall game. So it's the opposite angle in the sense that Walker is, you know, maybe okay in run defense and that setting the edge, but needs to develop as a as a as pass rusher. So it's unlike cornerback. We've talked about Derek Stingley not looking good coming out, but edge rusher is just one. You've got to give a guy time. And I, I think part of Walker playing a lot of snaps and not being very productive is the fact that they just don't have a lot to cover there. I mean, they're playing Dewan Smoot out there. And I've read some things over the summer that question whether or not he had a role in this defense would be tough for him as a former three, four end to find a spot in this defense. And so they're rotating him through, but there's just not a lot of bodies there. So Walker's kind of, you know, pressed into service and learned trial by fire. Um, the next one we have to consider uh, is the the Packers and the Bears. The uh, I think the longest running rivalry in the NFL, and also, if I'm not mistaken, they are dead even in terms of total wins in the history of their franchises. What you yeah, got on that one? Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. And all those I remember seeing that in their last matchup. So it's always crazy when you think about how far back the NFL goes. You know, hundred years and all that stuff. So and these are some of the original two teams. But uh, for for this week. Uh, we got the Quay Walker leading the way now, 14.8 first round rookie. Speaking of Georgia defenders, um, you know, with Devondre Campbell out, he stepped up admirably, uh, wearing the green dot, which again, that I mean, that's saying a lot for a rookie coming in who um, you know, was expected to kind of be that that running mate to Campbell. They they gave Campbell the big contract. They really clearly wanted him to be the leader and heart of that middle of that defense. Obviously, injuries happen. Walker has stepped right up in into that role and and has been delivering consistently, especially for IDP here. Uh, next up, we have Keeson, Keyshawn Nixon coming in at 13.83. Um, one of those you know names that you're no one's thinking about at the start of the year. Obviously, uh, like you, you think you talked about injuries. Or maybe we were talking about injuries before the, the episode here. Um, and those, or no, the three safeties, right? And so Packers are one of those teams experiencing that. And you're seeing some other people being uh, forced into action there, him being one of them. Uh, Jair Alexander, all-pro corner. Um, Delivering in the IDP space for us as well, which isn't always a one-to-one correlation, but we're seeing it here. Uh, Rasul Douglas uh, coming in at 12.52, and Preston Smith 
formerly of the Smith brothers when they had Zedarius there in Green Bay, uh, coming in at 10-5-1. Some other notable names, uh, Adrian Amos, 9-9-4, and rookie Kingsley Enigbare coming in at 5-7. So uh, really, really interesting here for the Packers to to see some of these other names popping up, uh, especially Preston Smith, someone who was, you know, a big name free agent signing two years ago for them. Uh, but Zadarius Smith was really the one who kind of, you know, took the limelight and uh, what he delivered in terms of NFL production. And Smith was kind of that afterthought, um, you know, and he was delivering some nice performances alongside Rashawn Gary this year. And, you know, Gary uh, ends up kind of being the, the flashy name this year. And now Preston Smith, the last man standing, still finding a way to just be consistent to deliver here for them, uh, both for the Packers on the field and uh, IDP production coming in at a comfortable 10-5-1. Uh, he is seeing 81% of snaps, which is that kind of, you know, good, strong level volume you'd like to see versus that rotational piece. So, you know, definitely thriving due to that. But um, overall, where do you where do you land with the Packers this season as a whole? Uh, that's uh, their team has just really struggled with injuries, right? And it's just they have um, Devontae Wyatt, their first round pick, really hasn't. We haven't seen much of him. I think that's. I was excited to see with the, with getting him involved and you know being a little bit more of a disruptive type of defense. And we haven't seen as much as that I thought we might. It's really been left to Gary and Preston Smith to get pressure. And now with Gary out, it's it's the fifth round rookie Kingsley Enigbare out of South Carolina coming in, and I thought he's looked pretty good all things considered uh, it's kind of an interesting development for them there but yeah this is a defense that um it just seemed like as bit was at the beginning of the season less than the sum of its parts and now with injuries it's starting to it's really catching up with them so um yeah they've got some retooling to do but they've got some pieces to to move forward with too. the other one that's interesting is darnell savage has he lost his job it, it, it appears so, right? I mean, that's that's what they're telling us with the, the alignment that they're sending out there with a focus on you know, Savage and who is it? Rudy Rudy Ford, I believe, is is the other one seeing so many snaps. I'm just, yeah, I, I think he has. I'm, I, I don't, and I don't know what it is specifically other than just he wasn't delivering for that team out there. I mean, the, the, the coaches are telling us he doesn't belong out on the field in that defense. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it's something where, especially in redraft, probably move on from him. Uh, in, in, in its entirety at this point. Yeah. Uh, but on, on the flip side, we got the Bears. Uh, we got uh, Jack Sanborn leading the way at 15.91 points. Uh, Jaquan Brisker, the brisket, coming in at 13.14. Uh, Eddie Jackson, 11.57. Uh, RIP to his season with the Liz Frank injury uh, uh, this last week. Uh, Nick Morrow, 11.1. Uh, in an outside corner, Jalen Johnson coming in at 7.44. Kyler Gordon, uh, Notable mention at five eight nine over the last five games here. So, uh, I think the the big name in IDP has definitely been the Bears, or for the Bears has been Jack Sanborn recently with the Roquan Smith trade and him coming in and just you know being that uh, that guy who's swarming to the ball uh, seemingly on every play. Obviously, his IDP numbers uh, show that production. Uh, but you know, you talked about the the Packers having some pieces moving forward. Um, what do you think of the Bears moving forward? They got Sanborn. You know, maybe they maybe he's someone that sticks around. I think that that's what they should do is they should give him a shot and see what they have in him long term. Um, as well as you look at Jaquan Brisker, Kyler Gordon, some rookies this year who have stepped in and, and really been able to deliver and play well um, on the NFL field at times. Uh, not necessarily the best. I know Gordon has been a bit of a liability at times, but you're taking him and you're throwing him kind of right into the fire, right, and seeing what you got with him. And and I think he's shown enough flashes to prove that he's he's going to be a viable corner for a while in this league. So love, love to hear your thoughts. 
Well, I, I think that uh, the issue with Gordon uh, dates back to June. And the coaches in June said, we're not going to put Gordon into that nickel role. We're going to leave him outside. He needs to learn that role first, and then we'll move him inside. And that's not been what's happened. And I think he was pressed into service, moving into that nickel role in, in, um, in sub packages. And I think that that's really hurt him. I think that they needed to stick with the original plan. And I know, I'm pretty sure I know why they didn't lack of talent. They just, oh, gosh, talk about and their, their cornerback situation was pitiful last year. And they you know, bring in um, part of this because I think Jalen Johnson got hurt too. But they need the Jalen Johnson and, and, and Gordon to focus on that outside role. They've got to find a nickel. <laughs> just and that's that should be their mission for next year. Um, it's it's enticing to bet on these guys to play nickel, and I'm as you know prone to doing it as anybody. But they can just in a flash just stop playing nickel because they need to. And you know Cam Sutton is a guy for Steelers that did that. For example, first two games he's playing nickel, it's productive. Stop playing nickel. Anyway, so on the Bears side, um, yeah, they're just this is a team that's rebuilding, right? This is a, almost like a college build where everybody has either graduated or. You know, they're all, you know, it's just the coaches there take over a bear covered because there's so little talent on that side of the ball. I mentioned that earlier in the podcast with the low picks and whatnot. So uh, for the time being, Brisker is out this week, I've read. Uh, so they're going to run out DeAndre Houston Carson and Elijah Hicks at safety. And if anybody's looking for a spot start, those guys probably pile up tackles. This is a defense that's going to struggle to get off the field. You're going to see on um, Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon making hay. Sanborn will be busy. Uh, you know, I think this would be a pretty good test for him. Uh, I, I'm I'm not as optimistic as some, but on a talent situation. But yeah, you're, you're he's going to be out there. We're going to see what we have in this guy. So um, yeah, this is a if you're in a tackle heavy league, these are these are priority ads. Yeah, no, I love I love your thoughts on uh, Kyler Gordon, especially right. Yeah, that was I was actually excited about him because they originally when they drafted him, they talked about possibly using him in that slot role. And and with Matt Eberflus coming in here to Chicago and, and how he liked to utilize. Kenny Moore in that slot role um, in Indianapolis so successfully for IDP. Um, you know, yeah, there was a lot of potential excitement around that. However, right, I, I agree. Like, you know, they kind of bounced him around. He was learning learning one role and learning another, and um, he just wasn't given a fair shake to really be be as productive or, or grow as quickly as he could have here um, if they would have focused him just on outside corner, which is, I think, what he primarily played uh, in Washington as well uh, in college. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, but I, I like the talent, though. I'm, I'm willing to bet on him long term, um, especially in cornerback required type leagues. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they where they go to or where they end up next year with uh, with all the pieces that they have. And um, but yeah, moving on to the next game, we got Eagles Titans, and what are we looking at there? Well, another interesting game to me. The Titans are, I swear, they're one of the least respected teams in the NFL. All they do is manufacture wins. <laughs> you know, they didn't last week. They came close, but uh, they, they're rolling out. Their top score in the last five weeks is Demarcus Walker. Interesting. You know, IDL true position special. They were 13.9 points. Nobody should start him. Mean, he's playing 13, 36% of the snaps, and Jeffrey Simmons has missed time. But anyway, David Long, the linebacker, uh, he was one of the guys I was tapping preseason, 12.8 points a game, uh, pretty much playing full time. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, of course, 12. Is 0.4 points a game is one of the top defensive tackles in the NFL. Uh, Danico Autry, uh, just under 11 points a game. I, th- I think he is still out this week, unfortunately. So that is another unit that has just really struggled with injuries. Harold Landry being injured in the preseason. Bud Debris can't stay on the field. Autry then got hurt. Uh, they're trotting out Rashad Weaver, who's a fifth-round pick from last year, I think, and he's been hit or miss, uh, 10.38 points a game for him. Uh, so they're going to have their hands full with this uh, Philadelphia offense, which uh, seemed to – 
uh, has had some really blow up games. And so I'm interested to, to, to see how, what they can do to, to, uh, uh, to, to get a hold of this, um, what what are your thoughts on uh, what, what do we see from Tennessee in production this week? Yeah, I, I think you I think you hit it uh, the nail on the head for all of that in, in the front seven there. the The real question I have is uh, Kevin Byard on the back end there coming in at you know six point eight points per game over the last five, but he's been playing hundred percent of the snaps. And you know when you look at tackle numbers, you know he really looks like he's on really a, the similar pace for what he's done over his career. Um, maybe maybe a, a slightly, you know, higher tick up towards, you know, assisted tackles, which generally have lower value in IDP scoring. Um, but really it's been, it's been the lack of the big plays. It seems to be really kind of dragging down his IDP scoring. And, you know, I think we already kind of talked about it earlier, so I won't harp on it too much, but that's what happens in those things, right? Interceptions, force fumbles, especially fumble recoveries. Um, those types of things are not stats that you can rely heavily on in IDP scoring. Um, and so you'll get a guy in Kevin Byard who's actually seen a slight tick up in playing in the box a little bit over from his previous parts of his career this season. And he's still just kind of kind of that floor numbers. You know, he's going to give you whatever, five, six, seven tackles. Um, and there's maybe a, a chance for the big play, but he, that this it hasn't come this season. So a, a name that's been a stalwart for IDP lineups, not looking like that this season. And I think that has to do with the comment I made earlier about a rising tide, right? They're not able to get pressure on the quarterback because their yeah. edge defender situation's mess. They're relying on Simmons to uh, to compress the you know, to get to collapse the pocket in the middle. And other than that, it's like where are the sacks coming from? If you're not generating pressure, you're not less likely to push a quarterback into mistakes. And so Bayard's not able to capitalize in that same fashion. That said, this week I like his matchup against the Eagles. They're a team that attacks the middle of the field and is running a lot and and playing a high tempo. Uh, they're playing one of the highest uh, tempos in the league. Uh, so I think he'll be useful. Uh, but yeah, I think that the overall, I think that's again touchdown variance in the same in a sense is that I don't worry about Bayard as a player. He's never been a guy that plays a plum role like Derwin James does he's always a guy that we've needed big plays from to be productive in it so i you know and, and he's got amani hooker next to him and they're somewhat interchangeable amani hooker has no name recognition but their usage and, and production really isn't radically different so uh interesting to uh, interesting uh, thoughts on him on the eagle side we have uh, a, a whole bunch of of interesting players in my mind we have the defensive line and all the uh, all the production we see out of that uh, one of the big factors though is cj gardner johnson who's been averaging almost 18 points a game in the last five is, is hurt lacerated spurt spleen or no kidney lacerated kidney i think that uh he broke a rib and the rib lacerated his kidney and so he'll be out for basically the rest of the fantasy season at a minimum. So that's unfortunate because he's been an absolute stud. And he's been one of those guys that's been benefiting from this rising tide. Six interceptions on the season. He plays primarily a deeper role. I'm not entirely. He plays some box snaps. But this is a defense that's focused on two high, more than one high. And both safeties are playing back more often than not. And they're leaving the linebackers to tackle. And so T.J. Edwards is that leading tackler there with 13.95 fantasy points per game in his last five. Uh, and then we've got the, uh, the edges. Uh, so, and uh, I'm interested to see what happens with their protection there because the Eagles, uh, they can, their fast rush can look ferocious and Ryan Tannehill has been known to eat the ball once or twice a game. So I'm, I'm excited about Hassan Reddick here in a spot start in one of my leagues. <clears throat> uh, what do you think, uh, what, what are you looking for for Reed Blankenship? Do you think he's able to replicate any of the production that C.J. Gardner-Johnson had or where do you stand on him? 
And, well, I, I think you kind of maybe let into it a little bit, right? You talked about that pass rush and, and what it's been able to generate for, you know, benefits in that in the back end of that defense and even the middle of the defense. Um, I, I, I like Reed Blankenship as, as a fill-in role, right? I mean, it's one of those things, obviously, it was a primetime game, so probably a lot of people have that name recognition uh, due to that because he made that pick on Rodgers coming in uh, right after the injury to Gardner-Johnson. But, yeah, if, if, you're, in, if you're in a pinch and you need uh, – to fill in for Gardner Johnson or maybe for Eddie Jackson, some of these late season injuries, uh, Reed Blankenship should do just fine as, as a volume play for them. You know, they, they, they seemed confident with him out there and what he did. I know they, there were some comments I thought after the game that talked about, you know, you, you kind of live by it and you die by it, you know, by having the rookie out there or the, or the younger guy, because, you know, he was, he was able to read some things and kind of uh, make the big play. I think it was, Deguara or Tunyon, one of them didn't, didn't run the route, you know, sharp enough or they, they didn't flatten out the route, excuse me. And that allowed Blankenship to kind of lull Rodgers into that throw and, and make the play he did. But, um, you know, he also had a couple mistakes out there, but they, they seem good running him out there. So he's a, he's a strong volume play for, uh, you know, a safety three type of, or maybe even a lower end safety two type of situation. So it's a, Good stuff. Uh, the next game we have is probably one that would surprise a lot of folks and that it's two backup quarterbacks i.e. two 2021 backup quarterbacks, John Wolford for the Rams and Geno Smith for the Seahawks. Uh, but it's not going to play out quite that way for fantasy football. What do you got for this game? Uh, and, and I'm so you look at the the line, too. I think it's Seahawks minus seven. If if, mm-hmm. if you told someone at the beginning of the season the Seahawks were going to have a seven-point uh, line here over the Rams, they'd, they'd call you crazy. But, yeah, <laughs> um, that that's that's the situation we're in. Um, and when we look at this defense, they got some people who delivered to kind of help uh, stabilize that Seahawks defense overall. We got Jordan Brooks uh, coming in at 17.19. Uchenna uh, Nuosu, um, wonderful pickup for them from, from the Chargers this last year in free agency, uh, coming in at 16.24. Cody Barton, uh, kind of that uh, offseason darling for a lot of people, coming in at 15.4 points, but uh, only 63% of snaps over the last five games. Uh, Michael Jackson, uh, not the former pop singer or former Cleveland Browns wide receiver, for those who uh, remember him from the, the 90s, uh, but uh, the cornerback here for the Seattle Seahawks. And then uh, safety Quandre Diggs coming in at 12.16 points. Uh, rounding that out, we got uh, rookie sensation Tariq Wolin. Um, I don't know how the Seahawks do it, but they might have found potentially another Pro Bowl or even all Pro level corner uh, late in the draft, uh, a la Richard Sherman. And then Ryan Neal rounded out there, who stepped in admirably um, in that kind of that box safety role um, from Jamal Adams' injury at 8.75 this season. Um, Uchenna looks to me like a, like a smash play this weekend. Um, he's someone who's kind of been on top of boards for a lot of people. I know I didn't like his matchup when they, I think they were in Germany playing Tom Brady. Uh, he had a bit of a down week there. And so I think maybe some people soured a little bit from the experience with that. Because I think he almost goosed that game, maybe like one one tackle or something. Uh, but th- this is a, such a good matchup for him this week. And you you got to be firing him up everywhere you got him. Uh, the Rams are just hemorrhaging pressures and sacks from that offensive line. Um, even when they were healthy to start the year, they weren't good. And now I'm not sure who's even left on that line out there to, for them to roll out anymore. But uh is New, going to feast this week. I, you know, I'm not one to obviously try to predict specific stats, but I, I'd be hard pressed to not see him find a way to get home this week. Uh, yeah, the, Rams, 
the Rams offensive line is getting to be bears level bad. Ah, <laughs> <It's just, laughs> oh, man, you got to feel sorry for him. I think Nuoso is an interesting character. He's a case in point of one of those pass rushers that just took time to develop. He was a guy I was on last year and I mean, I stuck with him for eight or nine weeks in a contract league and he just wasn't doing a lot. And I just kind of gave up on him and then of course so <laughs> he parlays that into the big deal in seattle and he's really been the, he's been the story up there i mean he's not been awesome but he's been good uh, this is, and he's playing high volume so yeah I think he's, a, 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 he's like you said he's a smashed art this year yeah awesome and then, we got uh, in seattle yeah uh, i'm not yeah. seattle la yeah for the rams on the other side uh i mean no one's looking at their offense uh because again i don't even know that they have anyone out there that anyone recognizes i'm surprised <laughs> you you even know who John Wolford is or anyone does. Uh, but, <laughs> but on the defensive side, they still got a few names out there. Uh, Leonard Floyd, which has been a pleasant surprise, uh, coming in at 15.9 points. Uh, and again, talked about some of those elite uh, volume play type things. Uh, 88% snaps over the last five weeks. Uh, Bobby Wagner, 14.08. Uh, Aaron Donald, 11.46. But I don't know that we're going to see him this week. Uh, sounded like a high ankle sprain. So I got a feeling we might not see him the rest of the season uh, just based on if he needs surgery, um, the re- regular heel time, and just the, st- the state of this team and, and obviously uh, the health of him long-term. If he's even going to be a Ram long-term, we all know about the, the retirement drama from this offseason with Aaron Donald as well. Uh, Jalen Ramsey at 12 points, uh, Nick Scott at 11, then some other names, Greg Gaines. Uh, Ernest Jones, which was kind of a, an early season favorite or, or buzz before the the Bobby Wagner signing, um, but even after the fact, thought maybe they could see some more of that two two linebacker look coming in at eight point nine five, and Taylor Rapp rounding out their safety for them coming in at eight point six. So uh, I, the one that stands out to me here that I really like because I, I like what Jalen Ramsey's been able to do. Um, he's been a really strong play week in week out. Um, as a as, as an outside corner too, we, you, know, you talked earlier about that star role um, and kind of how that was, and I know that was kind of a buzzword in the media last year when talking about Jalen Ramsey and, and his role in the, in the Rams defense. Um, but he has seen a significant drop in his in his slot corner usage this year, pro- probably playing about half as few half as many snaps in that role. Um, but he's still he's just finding a way to uh, continually be be able to deliver a solid tackle floor every week. He's uh, consistent in the run game too, as, as a defender there for the Rams, um, I, I, I like what he does. And in any cornerback league, I'm firing him up with with high level of confidence moving forward. But but outside of that, um, you know, Leonard Floyd's a, a nice story this year. What, who else are you looking at on this Rams defense? Well, you mentioned Aaron Donald. Yeah, I, it's the Rams just think a little bit differently, right? They they give up all their picks. Now they've got all these older injured players. I'd be surprised if we saw Stafford or Donald. They're going to spend the next couple of months convincing those guys to come back. (laughs) So Leonard Floyd is an interesting story to me. He is, I saw just yesterday, 10th in pass rush win rate, according to ESPN analytics. I don't think that people, I think that people think he sucks. He doesn't suck. (laughs) He's an interesting story in his own right. But I mean, he's out there without Donald and without, with the, with as thin as this defense would be, it's, you can't be eager to start him this week. But it's an interesting story that people need to be just kind of mindful of. Is that this guy has has found his legs in L.A. and I don't know if he's 
really good, but I mean, he's a guy that's going to stick. He's not going to wash out a league, and it looked like he might a couple of years ago. So interesting story there. Um, as as for the rest of it, I mean, Ernest Jones was uh, mispracticed on Wednesday with a back injury. Uh, he, he remains questionable for the week. If he goes, I think you fire him up against uh, an offense that'll be playing downhill. He'll he'll have his hands full with Ken Walker. Nope, I I totally agree with you. So. Uh, moving on, then we got uh, another revenge game narrative here. Dolphins, 49ers, coaches, players, everyone switching sides. What are, what are you looking at here? Uh, it's, this is uh, this ought to be the night game if it's not, <laughs> because it's an exciting <laughs> matchup, right? I mean, you got the you know the high f- powered offense versus the dominant defense here. So uh, the high the, the high powered offense has got a, a defense which has not quite lived up to my expectations this year. They've not really c- collected the sacks that I thought they would with their aggressive ways. But that being said, Jalen Phillips is their top score or one of their top scores over the last five weeks with twelve and a half points a game, playing seventy two percent of the snaps. Um, Zach Steeler is a defensive lineman i'd say idl he's got almost 15 points a game uh, an underappreciated player but again because he's a 3-4 defensive end doesn't get the love that you that you might think he would um because he's position eligibility uh christian wilkins is uh, a clumsy guy who i've liked for a long time 11.86 points a game of the last five uh these guys are going to have their hands full trying to contain the outside zone uh, scheme that the 49ers run out there with Christian McCaffrey and whoever they choose to uh, relieve him. Uh, so uh, what, I, I've been writing up Jalen Phillips. I, he's a guy that I was not necessarily on during the summer and I've come around to, and that's going to surprise some folks because he's not exactly piling up sacks. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I love Jalen Phillips too. I know, uh, I know the, the big or the IDP guys here, they, uh, they, they love themselves some Jalen Phillips as well. Uh, but looking at, you know, playoff runs and stuff in, in some of those leagues where, where I am making a playoff run, uh, Jalen Phillips was one of those guys that I targeted really heavily. When I looked at his rest of the season, uh, especially specifically those, those playoff matchups, weeks 15, 16, 17, uh, I think he's set up to really smash at the end of it because, well, one, obviously you want to see that, you know, it's not just that he's got a good matchup, but that he's been able to do things um, in, in every week and every matchup that he's in. And, and he's been doing that. He's been consistently generating the pressure that you love to see kind of as that baseline to say, okay, this, this guy can do it, right. He can do it at this level. Um, so you look at, he's got the bills, Packers and Patriots um, some of the best pressure rates allowed uh, the bills, however, not great when trying to actually convert them into sacks. I think a lot of that having to do with Josh Allen's ability to get outside the pocket, obviously. Uh, but the Packers and Patriots just really, really favorable matchups for actually uh, teams converting sacks against them. Uh, some of the worst in the league in that respect from their offensive line. So uh, Jalen Phillips is someone I love. And if you got him, you should be excited for what he's going to do for your playoff runs, in my opinion. Nice. Like that. Uh, 49ers on the other side of the ball here. They have stud pass rusher Nick Bosa, 21 and a half points a game over his last five, which is freaking bananas, right? Uh, Fred Warner, good linebacker, 21 points a game uh, from the off ball linebacker position. He's a guy that's the, this is another rising tide situation. Not a high tackle guy. Um, if you're in a tackle heavy league, you probably think he's a disappointment. But if, if you're in a league that rewards big plays and you got the 49ers defense out there collecting big plays, he's a stud for you. Talanoga Hufanga, one of the breakout players of the season so far at safety, but he's down only to about 11 points a game over the last five. So uh, he's, he's cooled a bit on the on the fantasy scoring. <clears throat> uh, what, what do you like in San Francisco? Who are you looking for this week? I mean, yeah, that defense is, is elite like you talked about uh, at times. And so – for me, you know, th- there's a lot of big names that, you know, you got them, you're going to start them. They're, they're, they're the sediment, forget them type, right? The Nick Bosa's, the Fred Warner's, uh, even even Dre Greenlaw went healthy uh, to me. But uh, yeah, Hufanga's an interesting one. He was someone 
who uh, thrived on a lot of big plays early on, uh, really made a, a lot of splash plays and made a name for himself. And, and they were great plays. I mean, they're high level instinctual plays. Um, you know, obviously um, he's got, he's got the hair um, and the heritage. So people are like, Oh, Troy Palomalu right away. And um, I mean, that's, that's, that's lofty to, to go there that quickly. Um, but uh, you know, he, he's someone that I, I love how they use him and their, and their willingness to bring him up near the line of scrimmage and let him have kind of that, that free reign to try and read a play and make the play then. Um, but I think it's just, he's, he's, it's a safety spot, right? That's where I think we see the most volatility. Um, I think you, you talked about it earlier in the pod, or maybe it was before we were talking about the, uh, someone posted that question about, you know, what does volatility look like for, for safeties, right? Like, and they're mm-hmm. so close in points. How do you really tell which is the right one to start? Um, you, you just got to look for the, those volumes and, and the, and the usage. And that's a strong indication of potential success. Um, you know, you're going to see some ups and downs. So, Hufango, who was someone who was one of the top scorers early on in the season, you know, he's kind of he's kind of dipping off now, but he's going to give you a solid floor. And so you can probably plug him in pretty much every week based on that. Um, just just got to learn to temper your expectations. Right. Safeties are, uh, aren't going to be delivering interceptions and, you know, uh, pick sixes all all the time. So mm-hmm. just, you just, well, just got to know what to expect. Yeah. Well, Hafanga, I think part of his value or name recognition is based on overreaction Monday. Overreaction Monday is the first Monday after the first opening games of the season. And on overreaction Monday, we like, so holy cow, he's the box safety. He played against Justin Fields and the Bears and he tore them up. Well, A, the Bears were really bad. B, it was a freaking monsoon. C, all the Bears can do is run. And so, yeah, he played a lot in the box. He hasn't done that much since. <laughs> They're primarily a too high team. Uh, so I, he's a guy that yeah, he's okay. If if you're doing big plays, the rising tide, he's out there for you. But um, if, if if anybody out there thinks he's a perennial S one out, out out of the season, I think he's a strong sell. <clears throat> the Chiefs and the Bengals, man, we just got a lot of good games this week. Now I'm excited to watch <laughs> yes. the football. This would be good. We got a rematch of what the AFC Championship game this year, I think, uh, from last yeah. year. What do you got yep. for this? <clears throat> uh, so when I look at this one, uh, we got the we got the Chiefs coming in. Uh, Nick Bolton uh, finally being the guy there right after um, always seeing a, a heavy rotation at the linebacker spot, uh, getting hundred percent of snaps and, and using that tackle efficiency he showed last year in limited snaps. Um, and he's delivering 18.38 points leading the way for them. Uh, Chris Jones, um, obviously a big name, all pro level player. Um, it shows up here with 17.53 and nearly 90% of the snaps over the last five games for a defensive interior guy. That's, that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh Legarius Sneed, uh, 15.84, uh, Willie Gay, 15.46, and Carlos Dunlap rounded out the top five at 11.01. Um, it's it's clear that the Chiefs have their two linebackers, right? It's Bolton and Gay. Um, those are the guys that they want to see out there. Um, and from an uh, NFL pr- perspective and for IDP, um, they're doing what they need to do to kind of run that defense appropriately. Um, the real interesting thing is, is what does that defensive line look outside of Chris Jones, right? We've seen... Uh, Mike Dana in the last couple of weeks uh, deliver some nice pressure and uh, get home a couple of times. Frank Clark was a big name. Uh, they spent the draft capital on, you know, furious George Carl Karloftis. Um, where where do you land on the, this pass rush outside of Chris Jones? Yeah, I, I was optimistic that Frank Clark would bounce back, and technically he has. He's been a little better, <laughs> but that's really <laughs> splitting hairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, the, part of the issue with with the Chiefs' defense is is 
is that it reminds me of something I read recently about how defenses used to play the run and shoot. And this is how the Chiefs defense plays everybody. They just mush rush you. They're not necessarily trying to sack the quarterback. They're trying to get pressure with four. They're trying to prevent the quarterback from getting out of the pocket. They're trying to contain the run game with six, with trotting out Gay and Bolton on a full-time, close to full-time basis. And they're trying to build out their coverages first with typically not a lot invested in the cornerback position. They've been trotting out mostly rookie corners this year. They you know, let Travarius Ward go in free agency. They traded Rashad Fenton away at the deadline. And so they've got a McDuffie looks like a stud, but a rookie, along with a couple other, like I think day three guys trotting out there with him, Williams and Watson, I think are their names. And so that that's how their defense is built. And so I don't, and so the other thing, piece of that is, well, how does that fit against the Bengals? Uh, there's, I, I listened to Christopher Harris's football podcast, and he's been skewering the Bengals' O-line all year. And I think that that's a bit misplaced, personally, because I think that with the investments they made, it was going to take time for that line to gel, and I think it's starting to gel. Uh, Burrow is a guy that will hold the ball and look to make plays, but I think between the Chiefs' approach and the Bengals O line starting to come around. I would not be looking for a lot of production out of the, out of out of the defensive line in Kansas City this week. No, I, I love the way you take that and how you approach that because I, I think that's so true. And I, I don't know if it's the the Madden Madden generation of things where I just look at like people are like, well, I can trade for a guy in Madden and I can just plug him into my lineup, right? And he's ninety overall and he's great. And it, it's it's not like that in the NFL, right? Like there there is something to say for learning how to play alongside of a guy, right? I mean, the offensive line is one of the most complex positions. Um, on on the actual NFL field, and I think that gets lost just in you know how high scoring and high flying offenses can be these days. Um, so yeah, it, I you look at I think they had 13 sacks or 12 sacks allowed in the first two weeks, and since then you know they've they're averaging somewhere around like two or something like that a game. The, the Bengals offensive line, so they've they've really managed to put it together here in the in the later part of the season. Um, and I, I totally agree with you. I, I think. Temper expectations big time when it comes to that Kansas City uh, pass rush this week. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, though, we got the we got the H and H brothers and Bengals and Hubbard and Hendrickson leading the way uh, in that pass rush. Um, Fourteen four eight and three six five for Hubbard and Hendrickson respectively. Uh, then we got the the linebacking duo of Pratt at ten four five and Wilson at ten point one nine. Uh, and rounding out the top five, you got Von Bell uh, coming in at eight six three. So where where are we looking here? for the Bengals pass rushers now. Um, for me, I, I look at this as Patrick Mahomes is someone who I think has really leveled up in terms of, and it's, and it's hard to say, right, Mahomes has already done so many great things, so to say he's gotten even better is crazy maybe, but um, his pocket presence has really seemed to evolve or, or come up to the next level here. Um, as he's found a way to really work inside of that pocket and, and manipulate it and move around um, because – the Chiefs offensive line isn't that great, even as much as they spent to kind of retool it or, or make some moves to, to try to make it better based on that uh, horrific Super Bowl performance they had a couple of years ago. But he he himself uh, really limits that that big play upside. I think they have the second or third lowest sack conversion rate uh, the Chiefs do. So I think for someone like Hubbard, who to me tends to be more of that edge setting run defender type, um, he is able to get home, but it, his time to sack usually is a little bit higher. So it's kind of more of those plays are rolled out his way, it feels like. Um, and Hendrickson, you know, I, he's a great talent and love the story from him from the Saints to, to what he did with the Bengals here. But I, I just, again, I would limit my expectations of their overall upside for this week. Um, yeah, if, you're, any, if, you're, if you're the New Orleans franchise, you're sitting there watching what Hendricks is doing. And you've got your current situation with Turner and Davenport and 
Jordan aging out. That's got to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I did not even think of that. That is so true. I, I think last last week we were talking. Me and Josh were talking about yeah, what does the pass rush situation look like? Is Turner the guy kind of going forward? And there's just a lot of question marks. And it's like, hey, you had a guy who proved it. You let him walk, and all he did was keep proving it. Now, so yeah. Um, yeah. gosh, that that's funny. I love that. That's a great call out, Trip. Um, any, anything else from the Bengals side that you want to call out? I, I'll be playing the safeties this week. Um, I think they'll be keeping busy. Uh, what's his name? Jesse Bates, right? Everybody knew yep. his name a couple of years ago. No, everyone's forgotten it now. He's been like out of the top 100 scores. Well, <laughs> if he's still on your roster for some reason, you got to play him once. I'll play him this week. <laughs> yep, this, is, this is the week to do it. I totally agree. So, all right. Uh, st- staying in that division, though, of the, the with the Chiefs, we got the Chargers and Raiders. What are we looking at there? Yeah, it's a couple more teams. I, I think these folks still think they're playing for the playoff lives. I don't know if they're right, but I think they think they are. <laughs> uh, the Chargers are probably in a better spot than the, than the Raiders. The Chargers have Derwin James, 19 points a game. Probably the, the, the perennial top safety at this point, just undisputed from a dynasty standpoint. Drew Tranquil, the linebacker, has emerged, started wearing a green dot in week four and has 15.4 uh, points a game over the last five. 100% of the snaps. Uh, Michael Davis is the cornerback, and he's been a productive guy for years now, actually. He gets his hands on the ball, makes some tackles, and they try to replace him with J.C. Jackson, and that was a wash. And so J- Davis is back in the linebacker and back in the rotation as a starter. And then you got um, Khalil Mack has, to me, been a bit of a disappointment. I, I'm starting to worry he doesn't have juice in the tank anymore, um, which I hate to say that. I, I hope it's a hot take. Tell me it's a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to. I really do because I love Khalil Mack. I loved watching him in Chicago, even uh, in his prime. But gosh, yeah, I, I think you're right. That 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 needle's uh, sitting pretty heavy on E right now. Man, oh, that's horrendous. On the Raiders side, we have Max Crosby, who is just. This, I, I found this, figured out this stuff the other day. I mean, you know, sleuthing as I was, <laughs> that Max Crosby could be the first edge defender since 2010 to have 100 tackles and 10 sacks. Ooh. Which is astonishing, and he's like he has like seventy seven tackles, combined tackles. He's like far and away the leading tackler among all edge defenders. That's something, and on, the only guy that's done that since two thousand and one is James Harrison for the Steelers. Did it twice, and it's just a banana statistic that he's, you know, I just, and he's out there. He's, he's over the last five games, he has ninety seven percent of the snaps. He's played one hundred percent of the snaps two games in a row, and one of those games is an overtime game. It's absolutely nuts what he's he's doing out there. <clears throat> Oh, that just that absolutely blows my mind. I mean, <laughs> I I knew the snap stuff, but oh god, that is ridiculous. A hundred ta- I don't care. Seventeen game season. Mm-hmm. I don't care about any of those asterisks, man. That is that is just insane for an edge rusher and what's asked of them in, in today's game. That's mm-hmm. oh, this this guy is otherworldly. Yeah. So that's the thing about the uh, the the Chargers this week is that you know Herbert doesn't take a lot of sacks, but they funnel they fuel a lot of defensive end production for tackles, and so Crosby's you know nobody's benching him, but they, you no. don't have to be concerned because you probably get seven or eight tackles out of him again, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got the Colts and the Cowboys. I think that is the night game. Um, so that Matt is, Ryan, yep. uh, Matt Ryan going against Dak Prescott, and poor Matt Ryan, he's he's got about as much left in the tank as, as Roethlisberger did last year. <laughs> so, uh, but he's going to his defense is going to be tasked with containing the high powered Cowboys offense. Uh, is um, is led by I think Quiddy Pay. I think Quiddy Pay is going to be healthy and play this week. He's averaging twenty point one 
points per game over the last five. He's down here is only having played 20% of the snaps, but I, but I think that's because he's been hurt for a couple of yeah, games. Yeah, he's, he's missed um, the last four games, I think. Yeah. And then we've got a, a Zaire Franklin, who, you know, breakout star for um, – for the Colts and that he's uh, earned a full-time role there in part because Shaquille Leonard could never get healthy and right this year, which is a big disappointment, but 16 points a game playing full-time. And then you got your, your brand name pass rushers with the force Buckner at 13 points a game and Yannick Ngakwe just behind him at 12.73. Uh, what are you looking for, for production out, out of this group? Uh, so for me, it is, it's quitty pay. I want to, I want to see what he can do when healthy here again. Um, he was someone that, I, I love that. Uh, I mean, we just talked about Max Crosby being able to deliver what he can do, um, you know, week in, week out, and, and some crazy numbers. Now, obviously, please don't hear what I'm not saying, right? This is not me trying to say Quiddy Pay is the next Max Crosby by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, I, I love what he can do um, when given a full complement of snaps. He can be uh, a guy who can set the edge and, and, and really be a strong tackler in the run game. Um, you see him, you've seen him do six, seven, eight tackle games already this year when he's getting the full complement of snaps. Um, but on top of that, he has really developed as a strong pass rusher. Um, he had kind of a limited set of moves, really focusing more kind of on, on th- that bend to the outside. Um, but he's, he's gotten, uh, a, a more full set of moves, right? Not just that speed. He can power rush you a little bit. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I'm excited to see what he can do fully healthy and I'd love to see him get a full season next year because I think he's a guy who can, you know, over time, over the next few years, he can evolve into um, a DL one consistently with his talents. And obviously I don't know who else is going to be um, in Indianapolis moving forward. If, if, if Ngakwe is kind of going to uh, be a running mate for him, but obviously having DeForest Buckner on the, on the inside is obviously a big help too. So uh, so for me, I, I want to see what Quiddy Pay's got, uh, especially looking at things like redraft next year. He might be someone that can kind of sneak under the radar for you as a, as a truly elite edge rusher um, who just hasn't gotten that uh, you know mainstream recognition yet. Yeah, I'm bullish on Pay as well. Um, like you said, I think he just needs to stay healthy. He's just been banged up and trying to play through injury, and I think that's that's hurt his production. But I think when he's healthy, he looks solid. On the Cowboys side, we have Micah Parsons, who I guess I accidentally made named the Shaquille O'Neal of the NBA of the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) And it has been bananas what he's been able to do, right? He comes in as a off ball linebacker, plays well in that role. And then he emerges as like an elite pass rusher. In addition to that, can do either of those things, which is what, what a mismatch piece for the, for the Cowboys to be able to switch him out there with Demarcus Lawrence, who's a, productive defensive end and Dorrance Armstrong, who's having a pretty good season as a, as a younger unknown guy. Parsons says 21 points a game uh, over the last five. Uh, J. Ron Kerr's 14 points a game to safety. Uh, Lawrence with 13, Dorrance Armstrong with 11. Who do you like in this, in this uh, matchup? <clears throat> I mean, I, I just feel like now he's going to change his names to, to Shaq Parsons, kind of <laughs> like what uh, Darius Leonard did since he's the Shaquille O'Neal now. Is, we're just going to have all the linebackers and stuff be named Shaq at some point here. There so, you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shaq Bear to come back next year will be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, but for this for this matchup, um, obviously for me, uh, I think the biggest thing is not what's happening on the defensive line because I think that's pretty well set. I mean, yeah, I love you love seeing uh, Demarcus Lawrence kind of delivering, you know, He's, I want to say, in the twilight of his career, but he's definitely on the back half. But he's still delivering. Armstrong and Sam Williams, some strong up and comers there. Uh, for me, it's really the the safety room. Um, it evolved from last year being primarily a two man show um, into what was a bit of a three man rotation here um, in the middle of the season. Obviously, they were dealing with some injuries too as well. I believe Curse 
uh, missed some time in the middle of the season. And as such, you know, you got to be able to kind of next man up that situation. But when, when people come into that role and they, and they start delivering, well, then all of a sudden, you know, you got to figure a way to get these guys all out on the field. Um, but it's kind of all shaken out here now in the end that Curse is kind of the guy, at least uh, playing up near the line of scrimmage in that safety role or in that box safety role. Um, you know, he was he put a put a strong performance in in the second half of last year, uh, really, really coming on for IDP production. And you see now that the, the roles are kind of a little more well-defined with him being the, the lead guy in that safety room, playing that box role. Uh, coming in strong. And that, that's really who I'm looking at. Donovan Wilson is probably someone I'm fading a little bit at the end of the year here. Um, if he's, if someone you had on your roster uh, previous to that. And, you know, for me, that that's really kind of about it. I mean, you know, obviously you had Trayvon Diggs season last year and, and the big number he's put up. But again, we talked about big plays not being sticky. You know, he went from what, 11 picks last year to what has he got two this year? So, I mean, that's, I think it's just kind of what you expect from cornerback. A lot of volatility in, in yeah. some of those plays. You want you want to look at things like pass breakups, um, you know, and, and maybe even tackles. Those are a little bit more conducive to what a, a cornerback's going to do for you week in, week out. Yeah, yeah. I had Javon Curses or J. Ron Curse. Javon Curse is former tennis, Tennessee Titan. <laughs> J. Ron Curse. <laughs> That's right. Uh, J. Ron Curse. I had as a top ten safety coming into the league, a uh, preseason coming into the season and uh, uh, like you said he got banged up and then donovan wilson came in just played with his hair on fire for a while so one of the questions we got from the listeners on this on the same idp show preview show nine weeks ago was what to do with donovan wilson and i said eh, not as big on him and it took a while for that to be right <laughs> i'm glad to find <laughs> <it>. <laughs> All it takes is time, right? Triple That's right. There it's like you know, broken <laughs> clock theory. Just let this wait; it'll be right eventually. <laughs> I love. That. I use that one all the time at work, right, man? Even a broken clock is right twice a day. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We got the next game. We got. I think that's the. Was this the Monday night or the Saints and the Buccaneers? That's. This man, is. That's a, ah, gosh, I just. I don't, I, you know, I'm a. I'm a Tom Brady fan because I, I went to Michigan for three years and I overlapped it. And so he's been the only player that I overlapped in college for, you know, 15 years. So when he retires, I have to ask myself, do I start calling 25 year old men that outweigh me by a hundred pounds boy or kid? <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway, uh, man, I hope they can pull it together just for one last run. I just, and I hate to say that if you're a Saints fan, but you know, <laughs> the Saints are the, the Saints, I mean, they're defense has been a disappointment this year. I thought they were really solid last year. This year, they just, they don't look right. You know, Jordan's aging out, yes, but Davenport is, and he has like a half a sack on the entire year, which is bananas. Turner can't play much. He's only playing 33% of the snaps over the last five, 11 points a game during that run. David Onyemata is a guy that looked like he was going to emerge as a, as a regular in the DT required leagues, hasn't done it. Um, Demario Davis is the old stalwart, been there forever, just under 12 points a game. Not a guy that you like in tackle heavy leagues. Um, my take on that is that he's the guy that's dropping back in coverage, and the other linebacker is the one coming forward, running downhill and hitting the flats. And that's been Caden Ellis over the last five weeks, 16.71 snaps, uh, points per game. Um, Warner, I think, is getting close to coming back. I haven't seen if he'll be back yet this week or not, but I think he might be. He's, uh, he's questionable the last I saw. I think he was a limited mm -hmm. participant, uh, all three days this week on the IR. So, uh, or the injury report, I should say. So, it, yeah, it'll be really interesting because, you know, they, they got two guys who have shown they're capable of delivering in that space in, in Werner and and Ellis now. So um, even with a, if, if let's say Werner is fully healthy, I mean, do they still maybe kind of split those snaps? Because again, they're a team that I think, yeah, coming into this year, they were, their defense looked so good last year. I mean, it looked elite. 
mm-hmm. um, at times. So they figured, hey, we're going to go all in, right? They, they made the big move to trade up to get Olave. Um, they thought Winston was their guy. And now almost every one of those things seem to be a miss for them. The defense is not playing at nearly as close to as what it was last year. Winston is apparently healthy, but not healthy enough to play, or they're not certain. I mean, there's kind of that back and forth uncertainty or ambiguity in that place. So they're running out Andy Dalton. Um, I mean, it's, I don't know, that that place is uh, not looking good for them right now. And so I think, yeah, you know, do you want to get get a better view of what you have? Because maybe next year, it, could it be Werner and, and uh, Ellis next year as running mates? Uh, if Davis kind of ages out or sees his way out after this year, if, you know, Maybe the writing's on the wall a bit, or I guess where do you land with this linebacking room uh, for this rest of the season as well as looking forward? Well, I think the Saints are on the hook for $13 million for Davis. Now, the Saints are always up against the cap every year, and interesting to see how they handle that. I don't know if I've seen enough from Werner or Ellison coverage to say that they would want to ease Davis out the door. Uh, And I think when Werner comes back, I think Ellis goes back to his regular Sam role and everything goes back to the way it was to begin the season, to be honest with you. So I'm not really terribly worried about that. I I think if there are folks that are worried about Werner, that he would be a target if you still have a trade deadline open. Uh, so I, you know, I thought Werner showed pretty well, and if he's healthy, then I think you roll with him. <clears throat> On the Buccaneers side of the ball, we got a couple linebackers that we don't have a ton of questions about, unless Levante David decides to requ- retire. But he's averaging ten points a game, uh, playing one hundred percent of the snaps, which is kind of surprisingly low, right? This is another defense that has not quite done what we might have hoped, and I think a lot of that's because of pass rush. Uh, Shaq Barrett got hurt. Uh, thank you towards Achilles. He's out for the year. Joe Tryon Choyenka is, uh, I wrote about this last week for football guys. Uh, he's, you know, he's just not really produced. They haven't scaled his rollback because I don't think they have anybody to bring in. They didn't bring Jason Pierre Paul back after last year. And Pierre Paul was playing with a separated shoulder. And so he could only play on one side of the line for the second half of the year. He only could play on the, on the defense's right side because his right shoulder was partially separated and he couldn't generate any push. And so, uh, and his, so he's looked a little bit better in Baltimore because he's been healthier. But I think that the, the Buccaneers defense has really suffered without that pressure. I think that the back end has, the injuries have really hurt. Winfield's missed time. Uh, Logan Ryan has missed time. Keanu Neal's back into a full time safety role, which is kind of a blast from the past, right? I mean, that was a guy that was high on the IDP radar a while back, and nobody thinks about it anymore. I don't, he's averaging what, just under 11 points a game, playing about 74% of the snaps over the last five. Uh, what do you like out of this group? <clears throat> Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me to to see. Uh, Devin White obviously clearly has uh, the IDP pedigree. Um, you know, everyone loves him, but you know there was a little bit of a churn around his effort or whatever. I I forget who it was. Some former NFL player kind of called him out um, and basically said, you know, this this guy doesn't deserve to be the captain of this team or take the C off his chest type thing. So, um, you know, but they got they got the draft capital in them. Um, you know. I don't know that they have really any other options behind him. So yeah, they're, they're going to keep rolling him out there. Uh, Levante David is Levante David. Yeah. He's on the Mount Rushmore of, of linebackers in the NFL. So um, like you said, we're, we're solid there. Um, the biggest question for me really comes into um, Antoine Winfield, uh, someone who, you know, in his first couple of years in the league, he really showed out in that deep safety role. He showed out as a playmaker. Um, he was able to still be able to get down, downhill pretty quickly and, and be strong in the run game um, and was a viable, you know, starting safety option in pretty much all formats uh, for IDP. Now this year um, with all the different names that you already mentioned, right. You talked about Logan Ryan, Keanu Neal. Um, they, they took Winfield and they actually slotted him in as pretty much that starting nickel role um, or in that slot role. Right. And he hasn't been bad per se, um, 
but he's definitely limited his IDP upside. So um, he's someone that I'm actually starting to shy away from in a lot of different formats, uh, especially if they plan to keep this role for him moving forward. Now, obviously, defenses can change, uh, coachings can change, coaching staffs can change, and that can lead to a lot of different things. But right now, um, I, I, that would, he's someone that I think I'd actually be looking at selling based on you know, uh, previous success and name value, but where do you land on Antoine Winfield uh, for the, for the Buccaneers? As a dynasty, I said, I, I, he's just an interesting case study. And it goes back to what I, I think we talked about earlier is what does it look like when a guy is the primary nickel and has a safety tag? If he has a CB tag, it's freaking money, like the Jerry Sneed. But if he yep. has a safety tag, what do you do with that? I think he's a guy that could be productive, but relative to what, right? Relative to, you know, even a guy like Brandon Jones, who's, a boxy guy or J. Ron Curse, right? J. Ron Curse is in a plum role. He's going to produce more than Winfield. And so, yeah, I think there are people that based on name value would make that trade right now. And I think that would be a mistake. But um, yeah, I think that what's interesting about the Bucks defense is, is that they're one of those teams that went to on trend, more of a too high look, and they shifted Winfield over to the nickel because they wanted him to make more plays and they felt like he would be better suited to do it from the nickel than in a deep safety role and so and it hasn't worked out but in part you can't really know how it would have gone because logan ryan quickly got hurt and has missed most of the season uh, mike edwards is was a bit of an unknown factor he's in the fourth year of his rookie deal and they let him play after they walked let jermaine whitehead walk and so it's hard to see what we got and, and winfield himself has been banged up so i guess more from an NFL standpoint, I want to see how it works out. But I think, yeah, from a dynasty standpoint, if there's anyone buying Winfield as a safety one, then he's a strong sell. Yeah. So I, I love something you talked about, and it's been a, a topic that I've had kind of swirl around this year. Um, and, and love to get your thoughts overall on it, too, as we as we wrap up here. Uh, you talked about the NFL switching to a lot of cover two, right, that too high look, right? Um, whereas the the cover three with the, the box-heavy role for a safety was clearly kind of the thing, especially I think Gus Bradley was the one who made it popular with the Legion of Boom. Um, and, you know, that was kind of kind of the big thing or the rage for a while. So, um how do you how do you look at that when you think of trying to <clears throat> figure out who you want and, and the value they have, um, especially as I feel like defenses in the NFL are so much more reactive, whereas offenses are kind of the ones leading the way like, hey, this is what we're trying to do now. And then defenses have to try and change up what they're doing to kind of match that. So um, where, where do you where do you see that in the landscape of the NFL? And then how do you, I guess, put that into your IDP uh, thought process? Well, I think it's, you know, first of all, the two high versus one high thing is a pendulum. In the 2000s, you had like the Bears running Tampa 2 with Lovey Smith. And, you know, that was a two high defense. And that's how you succeeded. If you were running one high, like I think the Ravens ran some one high with Ed Reed. Well, Ed Reed was a freaking wizard. He could hold, he was two men worth in the back end, you know? And so then, like you said, in the last decade, we had more one high looks. And it's just an evolution. And offenses learn how to attack the defenses that are they face. And then the defense, like you say, has to react and has to find solutions to what the offense is doing. And currently that is to run more too high to keep the ball in front of you. I think the really significant shift or interesting piece to me is that more and more teams are trying to get away with playing six-man boxes, uh, light boxes. And that's where why Antoine Winfield, for example, they thought he would be a benefit playing in the nickel is because, well, he's not in the box. He's close enough that he can supplement run defense. And a really significant change, I think, with the six-man boxes is that it's changed how we think about playing run defense. When I was a kid playing football, you were taught set the edge, funnel the ball inside where your health is. The In these six-man boxes, the goal sometimes is to string the play out and 
stop them from running it up the middle, to string it out so that the nickel can come up and make a tackle or that the weak side safety can come up and make a tackle. And that's a pretty significant change. And so it hurts both. Our, it hurts several positions in a way. It hurts the, state, the strong safety. Like you said, there are fewer of those box safeties. Brandon Jones, I mentioned because he's one of the few box safeties you can think of, not because yeah. he's a stud. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and then you got the other thing it hurts is defensive tackles. It used to be that you wanted defensive tackles a little like tight end and that you just want that featured interior pass rusher. And there are fewer guys doing that. Like even guys like Jeffrey Simmons has got to spend some time two gapping. Grady Jarrett is a former Clemson guy, a big fan of, was a great one gapping defensive tackle under, under Dan Quinn. And then they switched over to Dean Pease and his production tailed off badly last year. He's been back some this year. But still, so defensive tackles are harmed. Uh, the guys with the help, the linebackers, we have, you know, it looked like two years ago that there was going to be this, there was this trend towards dime and fewer and fewer teams would play two full-time linebackers. Well, it's kind of stabilized. There are lots of teams now, like the Ravens is a great example. They're trotting out two linebackers and they're not worried about it. And it's and the Packers spoke to this during the off season, which is to say they don't want to rotate so much. They want, they don't want to get stuck in personnel mismatches when offenses start running tempo. They want guys that they can leave out there and not be liabilities. So I, I think that, and I wrote about this at football guys about six weeks ago, I think too, I think that we've reached a bit of an equilibrium in that this is what we're going to see going forward. And with, you know, at least for a couple of years, the pendulum will swing again, but we're kind of <laughs> for a couple of years here. I think that that's the landscape. Oh, I love it. That's so good. Trip. That, this is exactly why I follow you and why others need to follow you um, and read your content. Cause it's, it's great in-depth thought process like that, that, um, gives you gives you the full picture of everything so so speaking of that where can people uh, find your content and where can they get to know you a little more here well i appreciate the kind of words jake it's really been a pleasure to get hop on a pod and talk with you so this is the first time that we've ever done a pod together it's a, the first time that we've met in person so well virtually in person so i mean a pandemic you might as well it's all the same anymore right yep yep <laughs> now i'm at football guys i, I caught on with the staff there the, uh, this year and uh, I'm writing a weekly column called Reading the Defense. And I try to think about, like you just mentioned, this issue with, you know, what is the current scheme with too high and, you know, how does that impact IDP values? It's what I write about every week. And so it's a lot of fun to write about. I will see how much longer they let me do it because I'm just doing it for fun. They might tell me, hey, you got to write the waiver wire article next year. Do something destructive. So <laughs> we'll see. But I'm, I'm, I'm at Dynasty Trip on Twitter and always happy to take questions and topic suggestions from folks who want to ask me what they might like to look into and ride in the weeks so how about yourself where are you at awesome well thanks trip yeah uh, and hey if i can put a, a word in for you let, let you keep writing that stuff because it's great stuff so don't don't be doing waiver wires you, you stick to what you got it's great so <laughs> thanks man um <laughs> but for me uh yeah i i write over for uh reality sports online um fantasy platform so i'm their idp contributor over there uh, i partner here with the guys at the idp show um, so I, my start sit article comes out there, which is more around just, you know, where, where are the values at this week? Um, and kind of that thought process to when you're trying to find those people to look at. So, uh, and then, yeah, come and find me on Twitter at Jake Colhagen. Um, love just talking the game, love talking, you know, questions you might have or, or any other silly stuff you got. So, um, with that though, yeah, trip, it's been great getting to know you here and work with you for the first time. I, I hopefully, uh, have more opportunities in the future and, uh, yeah, thank you for everything you gave today. Well, thanks, man. That sounds great. Thank you, do too. And I recommend everybody follow Jake on Twitter. He's active out there answering questions and putting good content on the, on the Bird app. So we'll see you there soon. <laughs> see ya. Thank you, everybody. In your